listening to the Religion and Socialism Podcast, a production of the Religion and Socialism Commission of the Democratic Socialists of America. Find us on the web at religioussocialism.org. On episode two, Jean Darling interviews Laura Barrett, Executive Director of Interfaith Worker Justice, a leader in the fight for economic justice in the United States since 1996. The Interfaith Worker Justice Network focuses on issues such as wage theft, corporate justice, immigration reform, workplace health and safety, and workers' right to organize. Jean began by asking Laura about her background and how she came to IWJ. Tell me what you were doing before you came to IWJ. So I've been an organizer for 25 years, mm-hmm. and I've worked for a variety of different kinds of organizations. Um, I helped start a public housing tenants group in St. Louis, um, and then also worked on the housing trust fund that we got voted in eventually as the largest per capita housing trust fund in the country. And so I've done kind of a um, whole variety of things that have added into yeah. uh, my career. The most recent thing that I did was I worked with a faith-based um, organization in, it's based here in Chicago. It's called Gamaliel, yeah. and it's um, I was the campaign director for Gamaliel, uh, you know, in various capacities for about eleven years. Oh, okay. Very exciting organization. Lots of um, terrific work uh, across the country. So, I come in with um, experience in working with pastors mm-hmm. and in working with um, denominational leaders, um, and then also we worked quite a bit with um, unions. Um, in Gamaliel because of some of the campaigns that we had around um, good uh, good paying construction careers mm-hmm. and moving low-income people into those careers. Mm-hmm. How did you end up taking this job with IWJ? Well, I had my eye on it for a oh, while. Really? It's, uh, yeah, IWJ is a, Interfaith Worker Justice is a really wonderful organization that um, has about 60 different affiliates. It includes um, Worker centers, which is which are places uh, where workers um, gather uh, and organize uh, to get good quality work um, workplaces. So basically, IWJ is involved with about thirty or forty of those worker centers across the country, and then we also have um, another part of the organization that supports the worker centers as well, but it's more faith labor uh, coalitions. So congregations with labor unions and supporting unions in, um, when, they're, when unions go on strike or uh, working together on Walmart campaigns or other uh, paid sick day, other campaigns that are uh, important to workers. So all of it involves worker justice, right? And so every part of the organization is really thinking about how do we make life fairer for people, the folks who are doing the important work in this country. And whether they're immigrants or native-born people, how do we make sure that good working conditions prevail for uh, folks in, the, in this country? And it's kind of interesting that actually came up quite a bit in the in the election. Um, you know, t- the how do we you know make sure that everybody gets a fair shake and that you know trade deals don't hurt folks? And what are we what are we doing when we're thinking about um, you know the development of communities? And um, so that's I, I think it was. It was a very divisive expression of some common values that both the right and the left hold. IWJ is really uniquely positioned to actually get to what people's faith values are and how those are expressed and finding out what commonalities people have. 
that they can use together to uh, push for, for changes that will help everyone. Well, one of the things that's looming in all of our minds, I think, is um, you know how to respond to the current political situation and the election of uh, Donald Trump. As you say, you know, so, you know, he ran on kind of a populist program, but populism can go either right or left. Does IWJ or do you, as the, its its leader, have any sense of strategy about how to reach people who, you know, may right now feel like they are on opposite sides? Just not not in terms of some of these issues you were just talking about, but sort of the big picture. Right. So I, th I think that, um, you know, and that obviously this has been a big discussion within the staff, the board, and the leaders of IWJ right now is like, what do, what do we do? How do we bring our unique voice and talents really to this debate? Um, I think there's, you know, there's some discouragement and feeling like, ah, oh, the country is so divided. I think there's other folks within the organization who are like, well, we were always this divided. It's just now become obvious what those divisions are. And the fact that working people, uh, whether they're native born, uh, whether they're white, black, or Latino, there's difficult uh, conditions that are prevailing for all of them. So how do we you know, bring people together and start a conversation around what would make that better? How can mm -hmm. we provide high quality daycare, uh, what, you know, paid sick days, family leave, all of those can help millions of people. And so talking about that in a, through values, I think, is a, a piece that IWJ can do. We're going to continue to push for our, um, the Pay Stub Fairness Act that uh, is, we had introduced in Congress. We're going to continue to push on the issue of wage theft which is a huge problem in this country for all people of all colors and all backgrounds. So there's lots of folks in this country who actually don't get a pay stub when they get their paycheck. Um, it's more of an informal system. Okay. And so um, the proper benefits are not given to them. Right. And so the Pay Stub Fairness Act would start to regulate some of that in a more full way. Um, the other bill that we're pushing on is around wage theft to make sure that folks aren't being forced to clock out, right. work overtime, um, and, or you know, go, go without bathroom breaks, adequate mm -hmm. meal breaks, mm -hmm. all the rest. Mm -hmm. So you're following in the footsteps of Kim Bobo. Yes. You know, uh, organizer extraordinaire. And, Absolutely. Um, how do you see your vision as either dovetailing with what's already been there or diverging? Yeah, um, I mean, it is an awful lot to be following the footsteps of Kim, certainly. Um, I actually teach a class in the fundamentals of community organizing at Washington University. I'll have a class this spring in St. Louis. And um, I use her book, you know, so I mean, I know what a great organizer she is. She's, a, she's an amazing uh, person and still doing great work in, uh, in Virginia right now. So she's working at the state level there. Um, and, you know, of course, I have sought her advice um, already on how to, how to move forward with the organization. Um, I tend to be a little bit more, um, I think hands-on with strategic campaigns. So one of the things that I worked on at Gamaliel 
was um, a public transportation campaign. Um, transportation is one of those issues that affects everyone, right? If you have a great public transportation system like we do here in Chicago, it's amazing. Um, you you know, it really lifts up the whole area. It makes it easier for small business to mm-hmm. you know to find customers. Um, it makes it easier for workers to get to work, and it helps folks who are disabled and folks who are on unlimited incomes get to worship and to and to school into their into their jobs. So it's a really um, it's a lifeline. It's a lifeblood of a community. So we really worked on uniting moderate Republicans who believed in uh, public transportation with Democrats and figuring out how could we actually get more money into public transit. And so we targeted the the federal transportation bill and under uh, President Obama, we're actually able to uh, get significant increases in the president's budget that he put forward on public transportation. And then also we were able to get more civil rights protections, which help everyone, and then also um, more workforce diversity measures. So when public transportation or highways are built, more low-income people, women and people of color, would then get those jobs, enter the union, and end up um, as journey people. So um, we came up with a whole bunch of different models. Um, I like figuring out solutions to really intractable problems and (laughs) solutions that are going to help a whole bunch of folks. I like working with leaders to really help that. I think um, Kim certainly did an awful lot of that. I think I may just be a little bit, you know, harder edged about some of that. Um, So I want to turn our attention to issues on the workplace, Mm -hmm. and that is something that speaks really deeply to me, and I've done, you know, a lot of work on uh, in the past. So want to really think through how are we being as effective as possible in really coming up with innovative solutions that are going to help low-wage low workers. Okay, great. What do you think is most important for IWJ to be working on in terms of worker justice right now? One of the things that IWJ has done incredibly effectively is just um, be there as a witness when, um, when workers are on strike and they're being treated unfairly, locked out, or perhaps um, being abused by the employer. Um, and so we can bring a faith voice by bringing uh, lots of witnesses out of different faiths to those, to those sites. We've done that in the past. We were also part of the sanctuary movement when it was first um, inaugurated. I think that there's a whole bunch of responses that the faith community is gonna need to have if some of the promises that um, President Trump made when he was running for office are actually going to be realized. So we want to be ready for, the, uh, for whatever might come down um, the pike, and we want to make sure that we have pastors, um, workers, and others activated so that they're ready to defend folks who may be hurt by mass d- deportations um, and other, other measures that may be proposed. So, I think our job right now is really just to activate our base and to continue to grow our base. Um, One of the other things that's been pretty interesting to me since I started, and Kim actually wrote a a wonderful book on this, um, the the worker centers are just really growing as a way to organize in this country. Um, Labor unions have been a bit frustrated um, because there's so many right to work states, 
But worker centers are a, have been a really great response and a great way for people to put pressure on individual employers and then also just to push for living and reasonable wages in, in, in an area, uh, either for domestic work or for day laborers or, or others. Um, so we've, uh, you know, really put a lot of emphasis on how do we bring folks from worker centers together and start to look at particular work sectors like uh, the poultry uh, factories. So we've been working with um, uh, a group of worker centers that are focused specifically on the poultry uh, poultry processing factories. Mm-hmm. And it's just um, pretty brutal stuff. Uh, there is one poultry uh, pr- processor that only allows one bathroom break a week for workers. Um, Sorry, that's ridiculous. It is, and then there's others that are one a day. Um, but that's illegal. Yes. <laughs> so we're working with the National Employment Law Project, Oxfam, um, and others to really, you know, take action uh, where appropriate. There's also all kinds of, as you can imagine, gender discrimination, sexual harassment that's going on. Um, so, you know. There's women, women who are so dehydrated. I, we heard a story just re- recently at a training that we had in Nashville. A woman that, um, you know, doctor told her you gotta keep hydrated, but because of the bathroom break situation, she just didn't feel that she could right. actually miscarried, you know, because of that whole situation. Then there's the repetitive motion, mm-hmm. carpal tunnel, the injuries that are taking place and not being reported um, because they wanna say that they're injury free and so folks are going down to the company nurse and she's not necessarily recording that they had been injured and they're given band-aids, not sent to the doctor, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of work <laughs> that we've got to do as an organization to start to bring justice to some of these areas. And I'm, you know, we have a wonderful network of very dedicated organizers and leaders that I think are you know, the right people at the right time to do that work. I, I was curious how you think your own faith informs your work with this organization. That's a good question. Um, so uh, I feel very called to be an organizer. Um, I'm not content when I'm not organizing. Um, as a social worker, I did a couple of different, um, I went to Washington University in St. Louis and got my MSW there master's in social work, and um, I did several different kinds of internships when I was um, getting my degree, and I was actually pretty good at mental health counseling, um, and could have gone forward in that, but I just thought to myself, there's a lot of people that can do that, Mm -hmm. and there's not as many people who feel that they can do organizing, and even though you may not be as talented at, at organizing as you are at counseling, that's where you need to be, and that's where, if you're gonna do the most good in this world and actually try to change the systems, which is another thing you learn about in social work school, that's systems that are pressing uh, folks, um, that uh, you, you need to uh, dedicate your life to organizing. And so I've been really satisfied with that choice. I've also just been really blessed with whole bunch of wonderful uh, mentors and comrades in the field that have um, helped me um, a great deal in my development as an organizer. And um, I, I'm very satisfied. I made the right choice personally. But also, when you do something like um, 
you know, when the day we won the housing trust fund in St. Louis, um, $5 million a year for low-income housing, um, some, especially for folks with large families, some that are, you know, the, any of the housing that was built had to be built with um, universal design mm -hmm. so that it would be easily adjustable for folks in wheelchairs. The day we won that, I was with my, my little son who was four years old and we're driving around and there's all the signs on the, on the yards and stuff. And he's like, there's your campaign, mom, you won. And I, was, I just felt like I could, I could die right now and I know that that $5 million uh, um, a year is gonna be there forever. And indeed, there's certain areas in St. Louis where you can go today and say, yeah, this neighborhood would be different if that housing trust fund hadn't been passed, um, you know, many years ago. So I think, you know, the opportunity as an organizer to make significant change like that and watch the results is just a real blessing. And um, I'm really, I really feel fortunate that I found this career. Let's return for a moment to the political situation. Sure. Um, I've been reading things recently that assess the Democrats' uh, approach in recent years has been uh, to be moving away from, you know, ordinary working people and sort of adopting uh, professionals as their constituency when that's a smaller bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that seems rather obvious that if you ignore a bunch of people for a while, eventually they get mad. And I, my sense is that that's what happened here with Trump, that he was appealing to those people who've been ignored by the Democratic Party. I mean, what he's done has been uh, you know, horrible in terms of opening this Pandora's box of hate. But I would gather that most of those people don't really embrace that aspect of it, but but are in line, in tune with the, the more economic ends of it. Since so few people proportionally go to church anymore, and that this is a faith-based organization, is there a way to bridge this gap, to reach those people who may not be going to church anymore, but who still probably carry values that are in tune with IWJ's values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we've we've been through you know an absolute upheaval in the, in our country. Um, it was very unexpected, and so mm -hmm. people are just reeling from how how are we actually going to you know operate this country um, when you know people are saying such different things and this kind of hate-filled, sexist, racist, Islamic phobic rhetoric is being um, used by our, by our president-elect. And it's very scary to many of the folks uh, within interfaith worker justice, including our Muslim brothers and sisters and um, the uh, undocumented workers. And so there's a lot of fear within our organization. Um, the thing that I think can be effective is when people actually get to know each other and hear each other's stories. So um, in, in the aftermath of um, Ferguson and uh, Michael Brown's uh, tragic death, 
Um, one of the things that the faith-based organization I worked with at that time, Metropolitan Congregations United, which was an affiliate of Gamaliel, there were a whole lot of people that weren't going to go up to Ferguson and demonstrate on the streets at 10 o'clock at night the way the, the marches were happening every single night. But they wanted to support the work, and they wanted change in St. Louis. Nobody thought it was right to be um, stopped by the police and you know end up in jail and this, these horrible um, debtors' prisons that were, you know, happening within all of the suburbs of St. Louis, um, or not all of them, but many of the suburbs of St. Louis. So uh, we started a whole series of sacred conversations <clears throat> about race that were really pretty interesting. So we examined the history of racism in St. Louis and, you know, what happened when African-American veterans came back from World War II and tried to use their veterans' benefits? It wasn't allowed. What happened with certain communities that were gated off? And all of the different ways at the federal, state, at city level that, uh, that segregation was um, implemented, you know, deliberately, you know, planned um, out by, by folks. So that institutional racism was something we really picked apart with the help of some of the professors at, Wash at um, St. Louis University and Eden Theological Seminary. And then folks went, you know, we had a big day where we had about 300 people go through these, uh, the, um, some training sessions. Then folks went back to their own congregations and started talking about how is racism manifested in our own congregation? How is sexism manifested in our own congregation? And a series of role plays, some short videos, um, a really important video for many people to see was um, a video of um, uh, a mom having the talk, you know, the mm -hmm. talk where um, women of color have to talk with their, their boys of color, especially, and, and girls as well, about the first time you get stopped by the police and how are you going to react. Here's the things you need to do and say, honey. Right. Um, for many people, that was just mind-blowing <clears throat> just hearing that. So that was all, those conversations were had in the congregation. And then everybody came back together and really commissioned, you know, talked about what had happened in their congregation and what they discovered. And then also talked about what action they wanted to take in the world now. Mm -hmm. Who were they going to, you know, which decision maker were they going to go after who could really make a difference in all of the setup of institutional racism that we, that we had in, in the city. So it's been pretty exciting. They just had a um, meeting uh, just recently uh, called Break the Pipeline, and um, three different school districts actually agreed to stop uh, suspending and expelling children who are as young as five years old from school. So, you know, and others agreed to take a look at that. So they, that was one of the policies folks tried to pursue. There was also the policy about how much tax revenue is being um, taken by cities, are used by cities to support their city budgets, and there's been state legislation introduced about that. And then others folks actually had pretty serious conversations with the police chief in their area. Mm -hmm. So people move from an understanding about race into action. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think we need, those kinds of principles are what we need to approach the situation that we have here today. And so I think um, our affiliates are gonna figure out how, how that's manifested in each of their own cities. But I think it starts with people hearing other people's stories. I mean, once you hear the story of an immigrant mom who was taken from the work site and left her nursing baby at home, um, you know, and was held without due process, 
I don't think anybody in this country wants to have people held without due, due process, and they don't want to see kids in, in uh, you know, detention centers. So it's finding out how can we actually take action on that together when, and, and people hearing those stories and being, having their hearts moved and then having some empathy for other folks. And then the folks who are the immigrant workers also need to listen to the folks who are native folks here. Dad worked at a factory, their, their whole country or their whole uh, city is devastated because the factory moved overseas. What do we do about that? Mm -hmm. And how do we take action together? Do you know whether those conversations are continuing? Yes, yeah, they keep enrolling. So more than 60 congregations have gone through those conversations and um, more are being inaugurated all the time. They're actually spreading out to some of the richer suburbs like mm -hmm. St. Charles. So it's pretty exciting work. And it's, it's very multi-racial multi, uh, work. So there's uh, black and white facilitators, facilitators of different faiths, really taking advantage of diversity um, yeah. to have that story uh, understood and heard better. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, IWJ's other job in the midst of all of this is for us to really call out um, racist and um, hate-filled talk when we see it. Mm -hmm. And it, calling out Islamophobia, calling out um, uh, prejudice against undocumented workers, and that's we have to really witness and be deliberate about what we're what we're saying and how we're standing up for people. I've been reading uh, a book about the Chicago Defender. It's a kind of history of that newspaper, and just it's it's just depressing to see how racism keeps returning, or is still always there, you know, over and over in different eras we think we've got things licked and then you know, it pops it up its ugly head again all over again. So it was heartening to see some of the things that were coming out of St. Louis after all of that stuff. Yeah. But here in Chicago, you know, I don't I don't see I don't see movement in that direction. It's always one step forward, one step back, isn't it? Yeah. You know, people stand up and you know march and are really taking action um, to say this is wrong you know the police can't just um, uh, you know kill young men um, you know on this on the street and you know we have to have discussions about this the, the traffic stops yeah. need to stop the violence needs to stop um, but that when folks are you know standing up for their rights it also seems threatening to, to other folks right yeah. and so yeah. Um, you know, the demonstrations are absolutely essential because people have to express how they feel and they have to get the attention to, to the issue. Like the fight for 15 people, um, thousands of folks being mm -hmm. in the street earlier this week was really exciting and that issue has been winning in, in city after city. They're actually seeing results. Um, so that, that activism has to, has to happen and we're, you know, IWJ is part of that. But there's also the other part, which is where you sit down at the table and you try to fig figure stuff out. Right. Both parts have to happen. And one of the things that we do that has been sort of the most outstanding uh, part of IWJ um, is provide resources. And that was what Kim was just a genius at, was creating materials for congregations and for worker centers that would be helpful curriculum that people can use. 
And in fact, the labor in the pulpit um, mm -hmm. that we started many years ago that congregations can participate in next, uh, next Labor Day if they're interested. And you know, they definitely should call the IWJ office to get signed up for labor in the pulpit. Um, that has been a way to really um, move a bunch of congregations into a different con conversation um, around mm -hmm. worker justice. Um, so we do have a tremendous amount of material available to folks um, through our website and in, in other places. So happy to talk more with uh, folks who want to have that conversation in their congregation. Mm -hmm. Any last thoughts you'd like to put out there? Well, I just want to you know, mention that we do have the Pay Stub Disclosure Act in Congress, and we have 30-plus co-sponsors. We are going to continue to push for that. If folks could call their congressperson, our uh, sponsors say they're going to continue to push it uh, no matter what the environment is. So we'll see what happens. Thank you for listening to this episode of Religion and Socialism, a podcast of the Religion and Socialism Commission of the Democratic Socialists of America. You'll find links and other information online at religioussocialism.org. You can also learn more about interfaith worker justice at iwj.org on the web. And for more information about the Democratic Socialists of America, visit dsausa.org. Subscribe to this podcast for free at iTunes or find us on SoundCloud. Our podcast theme music is courtesy of bensound.com. Thank you for joining us.